Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Watch Me Rise edition, as we spend most of this episode focusing on the NFL Draft. Charles Davis from CBS Sports came out with his latest mock draft on Thursday. He'll discuss who he has the Bengals taking in round one, along with some other players who have been frequently mentioned as possible Cincinnati targets. Then, for the second year in a row, former Bengals scout Greg Seaman joins the podcast to share insider stories from the 14 drafts he was involved with in Cincinnati. And then, it's the seventh edition of our three-round mock draft with an NFL expert. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since my new lawnmower. Last week, I made the switch from gas to electric when it comes to my lawnmower. And I've got to tell you, it's awesome. I don't have a huge yard, so the one-hour runtime on a charged battery is plenty. The lawnmower is self-propelled, so I barely have to push it. And you can fold it up and set it on its end for super convenient storage. I'll sum up my review of my new battery-powered lawnmower very simply. I can't wait to mow again. Now, time for our first guest. We're less than two weeks away from the NFL Draft, and one of my favorite experts is Charles Davis, who calls games for CBS, but also serves as an analyst for the NFL Network's coverage of the Senior Bowl, the Combine, and all seven rounds of the draft. On Friday... We discuss the draft as well as the Bengals' moves in free agency. Charles, this is great timing because you just came out with your second mock draft yesterday for NFL.com. You have the Bengals selecting cornerback Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State. He's getting a top 30 visit from the Bengals, so the team is definitely interested in him. He had incredible stats, 14 interceptions, an NCAA record, six pick sixes. He's tall. He's 6'1". He's got long arms, more than 32 inches. He's fast. He runs a 4.3540. But there's a but. <laughs> 166 pounds, which makes him something of a polarizing draft pick or potential draft pick. Share your thoughts on Emmanuel Forbes. Dan, you laid it out perfectly. Everything that I like about him, you talked about. The but is the biggest thing going because I will I can imagine in draft rooms across the NFL when his name comes up, the positives just pile up and then the fist fight starts about 166 pound corner. Now that's what he weighed at the combine. He did get it up to 170 at his pro day, Dan. All so right. He's in the right direction. <laughs> but that would be the lightest corner that we could think of in recent times. And we've talked about small players coming into the league. Nikel Roby Coleman, right? The, the diminutive slot cornerback that has played fairly well in this league. He weighed more than that. Jason Verrett coming out of TCU, a small corner, but an outstanding talent. 
And the worry about him was, could he hold up? He hasn't had very many seasons where he's been able to hold up, but when he has, he's been terrific. Kevin Johnson coming out of Wake Forest weighed more than that. And the number one concern was his slight frame. Can he hold up? Devon Witherspoon, Illinois, coming out this year, 181 pounds at the corner. One of the most fiercest, fierce hitters that we have coming into the league. But again, 181. So, yeah, when you start talking about 166 to 170, you, you, the scratching of the head, the, you know, the hand over the face going, oh, <laughs> right? The agony that goes into that. But the thing about him is you would figure he would be one of those cut tacklers, an ankle biter. He's not. Hmm. He throws his body in with abandon. Now, sometimes the boom doesn't meet what you need coming at you. <laughs> but he, bring, he brings it as best he can, and he tackles pretty darn well overall. The reason I put him there, of course, corner to me is a need with Cincinnati. His ability to ball hawk seems to fit quite well with a man that runs your defense, Lou Anarumo. And I just think the fit there, the personality, the way Cincinnati goes about its business, I think it matches pretty well in terms of this mock draft. Although I think there's some other places they could easily go. Do we have any context for the 166 to 170 pounds? Do we know if he tries to put on weight and is just one of these people who can't? Is he somebody who really hasn't tried to do it up until this point and now will? Do you know anything along those lines? No, but my my eyes and just educated guessing and a little bit of chatter, you know, we all have that where we're lucky enough to run in, in circles, Dan where you can pick up a phone and call someone and see if there's something I can do the same. We're lucky that way. Right. No one has a definitive answer. Hmm. When you look at his frame, you wonder just how much he can actually put on. Like some frames are built where you go, Oh, he can put it on 25 pounds. That'd be a piece of cake and carry it easily. He doesn't look to me like he has a type of frame. He's so wiry. All right. I feel like Gene Hackman in the replacements talking about their kicker. He's wiring. <laughs> and I don't know how much can actually pack on. He looks like one big 166 pound long muscle. Hmm. How much of that can pack on and how much do you want before he actually slows down? So that's where, that's where we run into that with Emmanuel Forbes. And that's a big reason why a lot of people would push him to the second round, but the ball hawking ability the, the taking it away it's the name of the game. You know that as well as I do. It's the name of the game. It's at the NFL like it has everywhere else. When you can limit possessions and create an extra one for your offense, that's huge in today's NFL when how many games last year were decided by one touchdown or less. We're visiting with Charles Davis from CBS Sports and the NFL Network. So this was your second mock draft for NFL.com. And the first, you had the Bengals taking Notre Dame tight end Michael Mayer, the local kid from Covington Catholic High School, just across the river. In your second mock draft, he's not there anymore. You have him going 26th to Dallas. If he is there, would he be your pick? He would be one that I would have in heavy consideration because obviously we have to see the rest of the board and what happens. I know in my mind, I keep thinking to myself, and maybe you can help me with this. I know Jonah Williams hasn't exactly jumped up and down and greeted the idea of right tackle with, with open arms. 
but we're a long way from training camp. We're a long way from the season. I've heard players not be excited about certain assignments. And by the time we get there, they're ready. You know, they, 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 they lock in and go. I feel like ultimately Jonah Williams will make that move to right tackle. So I've not focused as much there, but don't, don't think for a second offensive lineman couldn't still be in consideration. I think running back is a big one. And if somehow Bijan Robinson got within range I would think Duke Tobin and staff might have a little conversation in a huddle hmm. because if he gets in range, Dallas is going to have that same conversation. And with the way Joe Mixon's offseason has been, no more Samaje P. Ryan. I, you know, we've covered the Bengals enough, my crew. We are a strong believer that Zach Taylor isn't just paying lip service because we've seen it. When he can run the football, he will run the football. So Bijan Robinson fits that bill as well. But Mayor, look, I said it in my first mock draft. Joe Burrow is going to find you if you're open, and he likes tight ends that can get open and play. They're any quarterback's best friend. Great sight lines, Dan, right in front of you, easy pitch and catch, yardage, chains move, all those things. Michael Mayer fits that one, plus he'll block really well in the run game. So this is supposedly a great tight end draft. You have Dalton Kincaid from Utah going 15th to the Green Bay Packers in your most recent mock draft. I think the Bengals are going to take at least one in this draft. After Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer, who do you like if the Bengals were to take one in the second, third, or fourth round? Well, they got so many options. You know, there's there's one out of Miami named Will Mallory. That if you think the Mallory name in football circles, Bill Mallory, former head coach, Mike Mallory, we can go right down the line. You say Mallory, everybody goes, ah, oh, Mallory football. <laughs> he's one of those kids. And I think he's tested well and probably was underutilized at the University of Miami. Right there in right there in the city. Josh Wiley, tight end from Cincinnati, had a really good senior bowl week. He's a guy to keep an eye on. Not terribly far away if you go to Purdue. There's a kid by the name of Payne Durham who got better every day at the senior bowl and capped it off with a terrific game. He is a monster of a tight end. He's a big, big guy, Dan. And I had a great a chance to chat with him a little bit. And I said, Hey, I, I noticed in your background lacrosse. I said, what position? He said, I was an attack, which meant he was bearing down on goalies and scoring goals. I said, how big were you when you played the cross? He said, pretty much where I am. He said, you know, give or take, but I was tall and big then. And I just thought to myself, you imagine those poor lacrosse goalies with that monster <laughs> coming at him. He's gotten better as he's gone along. Okay. There's a kid named Tucker craft at San Diego. I mean, uh, South Dakota state who can play. Is he Dallas Goddard? That's the easy comparison. Same school. I don't think so, but that doesn't mean he's not a good football player. And then there's one that, that, that is starting to starting to hit uh, Brenton strange from Penn state. Lately, you hear more and more chatter, his ability to catch the football, you know, he might be a better pro than a college player. We can go on forever. There are a bunch of guys in that. But once you start ticking them off, it seems like there's no shortage of those guys that are available that you can go get. Sam Hubbard, by the way, was one of those high school giants bearing yep. down on the lacrosse goalie <laughs> back in the day. We're chatting with Charles Davis from CBS. Let's circle back to right tackle. For now, Jonah Williams is likely to be the guy. Who knows? Maybe they'll trade him after the draft. Anything's possible. 
let's assume that Paris Johnson is gone. Peter Skaronsky is gone. Darnell Wright is gone. Roderick Jones is gone. That would be my expectation prior to pick number 28. After that, are you a Dewan Jones guy? Are you an Anton Harrison guy? How do you like the crop of potential right tackles that could play right away? Yeah, the top is going to be Anton Harrison for me. You know, once you get past that prop you mentioned, Dan, I think that he's a guy who also is a consideration that if the run, if the run really hits and someone wants someone, and I call it the Dwayne Brown example. Remember the draft when Houston and people, you know, I keep telling, you know, I tell people, you know, Houston used to run the AFC South and people look at me like, what? I say, it wasn't that long ago, right. was it? You see how quickly times change, right? They actually traded back into the first round, took Dwayne Brown somewhere in the late 20s, I believe. And people are like, whoa, had a third round grade on him. How'd that work out? I think pretty well. Dwayne mm-hmm. Brown's had a career. He's not a tackle, but remember when Travis Frederick went to Dallas in the first round and everyone in the league went, what? What? Second round, third round, fourth round grade. Travis Frederick didn't get him later. Guy became an all pro, not just a pro bowler, an all pro before he had to retire early with Guillain-Barre syndrome and just didn't have the strength to play, but he was a terrific player. So Anton Harrison is that type of a guy to me that if that run happens and it really happens early and people's like, I got to have a tackle, he becomes that guy for me. Dewan Jones for Ohio State, I'm just going to tell you, that is buyer beware, buyer beware, buyer beware. Why? never stepped on a scale for us. And when I say us, I'm talking about all of us who are interested in it. Never stepped on a scale at the Combine. Didn't step on a scale at his pro day. Didn't go through his drills and things at his pro day. Was at the Senior Bowl, had one good day, the first day of practice, when every pass rusher lost his mind and decided, I'm going to run over the 360-pound man. And he just enveloped them all. None of them threw a second move. None of them threw speed. None of them did anything. They just all got ego-driven and rushed horribly. And he just ate them alive. And then he never showed up the rest of the week. Didn't Hmm. see him Wednesday. Didn't see him Thursday. Didn't see him on game day. I'm not saying people don't have their reasons, okay? I didn't sit with the young man and say, why didn't you do this? So he may have something perfectly good. But I'm going to string it all together for you, Dan. He did that in Mobile. He didn't work out at the combine. He didn't work out his pro day. What am I getting? And if you're not getting on that scale and I'm looking at you and I'm thinking four bills could ring up there somewhere, Mm. that's going to worry me. And Deion Sanders said something that I've kept in my head years ago. He's like, hey, man, you don't eat less when you have more money in your pocket. (laughs) And and I realize the disciplined people handle it. Right. I don't know what I'm getting there. So that's a buyer beware because he has talent. That's that's without question. But does he have the talent to discipline himself beyond the field? That's what teams are asking themselves in my mind. Let's get back to running back. Historically, the second round has been the sweet spot for the Bengals. Joe Mixon, second round. Jeremy Hill, second round. Giovanni Bernard, second round. If you go to the Wayback Machine, Corey Dillon, second round. Icky Woods, second round. How do you like the crop of running backs? We'll say second round, but maybe even third. I think it's a good one. I think it's a very good running back crop. Uh, Jamar Gibbs from Alabama. 
He could be my Clyde Edwards Elaire, where he snuck into the bottom of the first round. I'm looking at Philadelphia at 30 if they don't take mm. B. John Robinson at 10, right? He could be that guy. He's out of Alabama, Georgia Tech transfer. Run it, catch it. He's not B. John Robinson because he's not as thick and as strong, but he's built well, he's compact, and he and he's really good in the open field. Devon A-Chain, and these aren't necessarily in order, Dan. Devon A-Chain from Texas A&M ran a 4.38. He's a dart, okay? Reminds you of a spiller coming out of school. Remember C.J. Spiller? Sure. Could flat out go. And you have a Texas A&M guy, I believe, who's on the roster now, Travion Williams. Mm-hmm. A-Chain, even more sudden in my mind. Plus, he catches the ball out of the backfield quite well. Zach Charbonnet. Now, that is more, to me, what the Bengals would look for, a more of a powerful type of a runner out of UCLA that as the game went on, I always talk about guys who can run people into submission. Joe Mixon has that ability, right? Mm-hmm. Those guys we talked about before, Corey Dillon certainly ran people into submission, you know, by the fourth quarter. Okay, I had enough of hitting on this big man. That's what Zach Charbonnet gives you is a little bit more of a power guy coming out of UCLA. Um, there's one that didn't really work out at all in the offseason, and it's a little bit different than Dewan Jones. His was a true injury with a hamstring, but we've got plenty of tape on him, and that's Dwayne McBride out of UAB. And um, what was his name? Jordan Howard. Remember he came out of Indiana a few years ago and actually had a few good years in Chicago mm-hmm. and Old very similar type of a player in terms of college production. And Jordan Howard began his career at UAB before transferring to Indiana. Hmm. So there's a little bit of comparison there, but there are a lot of good running backs. They're going to come out in the second round, in the third round. And that's why, again, I think Bijan Robbins is still going to go in the first round, but maybe not as high. And if he doesn't go in the first round, it's simply because everybody goes, I can get a running back all the way through. And, and that's kind of where we've where we've seen it along the way too. We're chatting with Charles Davis from CBS. Let's get away from the draft and touch on free agency for a few minutes before I let you go. The big news, obviously, for the Bengals was signing Orlando Brown Jr. to a four-year, sixty-four million dollar deal. That's pretty darn reasonable for a four-time Pro Bowl left tackle. He's only the fifteenth highest-paid tackle now in the NFL. What'd you think of that signing? I had a big time signing for Cincinnati because they were, they obviously were comfortable with him staying on the left side and he doesn't make that move. If he doesn't stand the left side, remember he was a perennial pro bowl, right tackle, which I thought fit him to a T, but he always talked about, I want to play a position where my dad played Orlando Zeus Brown, God rest his soul. And he wanted to be a left tackle and Kansas city was willing to make him a left tackle. I think he's better at right but is he good enough at left? Absolutely. And look, he just won a Super Bowl and helped shut out some pretty good pass rushers, right, against Philadelphia. So he understands how to play the game. And then you're talking about getting him into 15th salary for tackles. That's a huge win for Cincinnati. Jonah Williams may not be thrilled about the whole thing. <laughs> but if you're Cincinnati, how do you say no to that? He understands how to play, he understands positioning, and, and he helps make up for his lack of foot speed when you have those super elite pass rushers. He knows where his weakness is, and he tries to eliminate that right off the top and make you play to his strength. And when he's able to do that and get his hands on you, look out, because that's a big, massive man who's got some strength. 
You were a great safety in your playing days at Tennessee. You had 13 interceptions in your college career. That's highly impressive. The Bengals lost a great tandem at that position in Jesse Bates and Von Bell. They've signed Nick Scott. They've got last year's first-round draft pick, Dax Hill, waiting in the wings. How concerned should we be about losing Bates and Bell when you now have Scott and Hill? Yeah, I think losing losing both of them are terrific. And, you know, my coaches would tell you, my 13 interceptions, they don't know what the quarterbacks were thinking. Right? This is, <laughs> I don't know how it happened, Davis. But Jesse Bates was one of those great center field roamers. And in a sense, Dan, there's times I would watch Jesse play and see numbers and thought that they would have been higher. And that's not a, that's not a ding on him. I like Jesse Bates a lot. I thought there was a potential at some point that Jesse Bates might, you know, really bust out eight, nine, 10 interceptions because of that style of play. To me, Von Bell is the big loss. Not that Bates isn't. He's a really good player. And them as a tandem, terrific. But the last two years have just been fraught with contract. Jesse was worried about. He he almost lost a year getting his head right on that one in the Super Bowl run. And last year knew he was going to be leaving. So it's just it's just an uneasy deal. Von Bell holds it down for everyone. You know how excited they are in Carolina, okay? You know that they are ecstatic in Carolina because from the moment he hits town, he takes over. Guys are going to work harder. Guys are going to be more accountable. Guys are going to be ready to play. That's just who he is, and they are fortunate to have it. So I worry about that a little bit, but the beauty is these youngsters got a chance to work their way in. Dax Hill got plenty of playing time preseason. And everybody says, ah, preseason. Well, guess what? It pays dividends that the kid gets his feet wet and got to work his way into what Lou wanted. And, of course, Lou's not, Lou Anarumo's not going to want to play you during the regular season. He wants his regular guys playing because he likes the continuity. Dax can go ahead and jump in and get going right away on that. I don't think adding someone from the secondary in the draft is, is, is out of line. That could easily happen. That Witness, I've got Forbes at corner. Safety could, could easily jump in there. And there are a few of them that are pretty darn good and would fit, I think, what Lou Anarumo does. So, yeah, I see that happening. But I do think it's a loss. You notice what Buffalo did. They're going with the Hyde and Poyer show one more time. If that doesn't tell you how valuable these guys are, I don't know what is because I'll leave you with this on this one, Dan. I'm getting ready for a Buffalo game last year. And you remember Hyde and Poyer went through their injury issues last mm-hmm. year. Okay. And I talked with an offensive coordinator and I said, what did you learn from the last game? I said, you talked to anyone from the other team? He said, yeah, I talked with the team that they just played. And I said, okay, tell me one thing I really need to know about Buffalo's defense that I don't know. And obviously I had a relationship with him, et cetera, et cetera. And the person said to him, the backup safeties are better than you think. Now at the time, the backup safeties were Jaquan Johnson and DeMar Hamlin. Hmm. We know what's happened now, unfortunately, for DeMar. Jaquan Johnson's no longer in Buffalo. They've got to restock as well. You lose Bates, you lose Von Bell, you're in a restock position. I don't care who's, who else is sitting there right now. You've got to bring some more people in because those two are pretty darn good. They lost C.J. Uzama a couple of years ago. Hayden Hurst basically gave them the same production. Now they've lost Hayden Hurst. And they've signed Irv Smith Jr. Can Irv Smith Jr. give them similar production from what they got out of C.J. Uzama and Hayden Hurst. When you take his scouting report out, Dan, coming out of college, that's exactly what you would see. That's what you were going to get from Irv Smith. Explosive, productive, good hands, 
route runner, shred you down the middle, create big plays. That's what you were. That's what the scouting report said on him. He's had a lot of dings in Minnesota. Let's see if he can stay healthy and hit that scouting report. Cause it's not like he's ancient. Like me, he's still a young <laughs> kid. He can run around and do things. That's what we're going to want to see because that's what the scouting report was coming out. Can he hit that and match up with it? Because if so, it lessens your burden on the tight end position in the draft. If you're ancient, I must be fossilized or Paleozoic or something. I don't Not know. Not at all. You're, you're, only as long, you're only as young as you act, Dan. And you act you young. Me, on the other hand, <laughs> assistance just getting up in the morning. <laughs> all right. Final question for Charles Davis, and I appreciate your time as always. The Chiefs are the reigning NFL champs. The Bills have won the AFC East for three years in a row. It looks like the Jets are going to add Aaron Rodgers. The Browns will have Deshaun Watson all year. Jacksonville is ascending. Sean Payton is now the head coach in Denver. I look at this AFC, and I think the Bengals are great. They're going to be even better than they've been, and yet I don't know how you get through this gauntlet. What do you think of the AFC right now? It is a gauntlet, isn't it? And every year we talk about teams, okay, if you want to make the playoffs, what's your easiest path, path to the playoffs? Win your division. So you know, anyone who follows the NFL knows, every coach is going to tell you, every scouting department is going to tell you, we build our team to win our division first. Because if we do that, then we know we're in the playoffs. We'll deal with the rest of it later. But to me, there are certain few teams every year that have earned the right to not just build to win their division, but build to win in the playoffs. Cincinnati's one of those teams. Okay, nothing's a given, nothing's guaranteed, but they have built this this roster and this team and how they play, and they understand being the hunted now, and they carry through on that quite well. I don't worry about Cincinnati unless something just catastrophic happens, right? So to me, Cincinnati, Kansas City, Buffalo, okay, great. It's not just adding for your division. Think about who you might have to play in the playoffs. Remember the old days when, okay, I got to deal with New England in the playoffs. Do I have anyone who can run with Gronk? You had to have that extra. Right. So if you're dealing with Cincinnati in the playoffs and you're Kansas City and you're Buffalo and whoever else we want to put in there, okay, how am I dealing with Jamar Chase? How am I dealing with those T. Higgins? How am I dealing with those receivers and Joe Burrow operating? That's your first thought. You flip it over to Buffalo. Josh Allen, not just throwing it, but when Josh Allen breaks out and runs it, is he going to shred me? Do I have those people who can spy him and go get him? Right? And Kansas mm -hmm. City, we always talk about them being a track meet. But last year, Dan, it wasn't just a track meet. They were running a lot more, a lot of the shorter sprints. They played small ball. And Patrick Mahomes was the MVP of the league. It wasn't just flicking it and turning into 60, 70 yard plays. There were a lot of 10, 15, 20 yard plays more than you would expect from Kansas City. They adjusted and became champions again. So now, how do you adjust to Patrick Mahomes and his ability to adjust to you? I used to talk about it with Drew Brees. I used to call Drew Brees AI, artificial intelligence. Everything you threw at him, he took the input, took the input, took the input. And by the end of the game, everything you threw at him, he was running back against you and beating you. That's what Mahomes does for you. So what's your counter? What's your change up? What do you have for him? Because... We all talk about taking away Kelsey. I don't know that we really have. And people have tried everything you possibly can. Are there other ways to get to them? That's what those teams are plotting in the offseason. 
without talking about it. The draft is right around the corner. You are going to be a very busy man. I really appreciate your time. Great stuff as always. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Dan. Always great to talk with you. You take care of yourself. Hope to see you soon. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Learn more at Paycor.com. And by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and sign merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. Last year, right around this time, we gave you an idea of what it's like to be inside the Bengals' war room during the draft with Greg Seaman, who was a Bengal scout for more than a decade. This year, I decided to try something a little bit different with Greg. I picked out one player from each of the 14 drafts he was involved with and asked him to share some memories about those draft picks. Greg, you joined the Bengals organization in 2003. Marvin had just been hired as the head coach. The team was coming off a 2-14 and season the year before, so the Bengals had the number one overall pick. It was widely assumed that the choice was going to be Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Carson Palmer. That's the way, obviously, that it turned out. But was there much debate in that situation? I uh, came in at the same time Marvin did. I had been in Dallas uh, coaching the tight ends, and and so I got there a little late in the process. Uh, When I arrived, there was no doubt uh, that Carson was the the cream of the crop in in that draft. And also, Marvin was adamant about how we should begin his career, that he did not want to rush him into the breach and uh, damage his progress in some way. And uh, we stood by that. And Carson is, uh, you know, the ultimate, oh, what might have been. Uh, you know, his second year, we, we win. Uh, his first year as a starter, we win eight games. The next year, we win 11 games. We had beaten Pittsburgh. And I will forever believe that that team uh, could have won the Super Bowl. Uh, Carson gets hurt. Um, the uh, Steelers are in the in the game as a wild card and go on to win the Super Bowl. And I believe we were better than them. And the hit by Kimo von Olhoffen led to a rule change uh, about the low hit on the quarterback because of Carson's injury. So, uh, yeah, Carson was a, just a terrific, terrific player. Mike Brown played quarterback. He loves watching quarterbacks, studying quarterbacks. He said to me that he believes Carson Palmer had the best arm of any quarterback in Bengals history. Uh, That's a big statement, and Mike has said that. And you have to take into account that uh, a guy like Bill Walsh said that Greg Cook was the most talented passer he ever worked with. And think about that. That includes Dan Fouts, Joe Montana, and and, uh, uh, Steve Young. Uh, Mike has likened Carson's ability to throw the ball to the great Otto Grams, uh, who was uh, a wonderful passer in a different era. So, yeah, Carson had uh, size. He had touch. Uh, he was an intelligent guy. He grew up in the West Coast offense. His, his offensive coordinator at USC was Hugh Jackson, and they were running much the same kind of system he would eventually run in the NFL. There were 13 quarterbacks taken in that 2003 draft. None of the other ones drafted other than Carson Palmer ever made a Pro Bowl, but one undrafted quarterback went to four, Tony Romo. I'll be darned, Eastern Illinois. Yeah, the 
the pride of the uh, Eastern Illinois Panthers, and and uh, Sean Payton uh, is the one that uh, brought him to Dallas, and Sean was an Eastern Illinois quarterback. So we moved to the 2004 draft. This was a great quarterback draft. Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, Big Ben. The Bengals were set at that position. They were not looking for a quarterback. They had 11 picks. Their most successful wasn't first-rounder Chris Perry, the running back out of Michigan. It was fourth-rounder Robert Gathers from Georgia. The Bengals had the 17th pick that year. You traded back twice, 17 to 24, then 24 to 26. You got a couple of extra fourth-rounders out of that, and Robert Gathers was one of them. If you're one of the 32 teams in the NFL and you draft for enough years, there's a pretty good chance you're going to draft a Gathers. Uh, (laughs) His dad was drafted, though injured. His uncle Jumpy was a great player. His brothers, his cousins, everyone in the the family, it seems, at some point uh, becomes an NFL player. Uh, Robert, um, that was a great uh, deal to get Robert and gain picks. Uh, Robert was a, a good player, a good person, and a good professional, and played for a long time. Uh, that was a very solid pick, a good guy, good in the locker room, productive on the field. And uh, I think we joke about how many gathers there, there are, but I think part of uh, who he was was the fact that he was surrounded by professionals, and he knew how to, uh, how to be a professional, and uh, just a good person, good player. Is there anybody on the Bengals totem pole, whether it's Mike or Duke Tobin or Mike's late brother Pete, who is uh, especially a a proponent of trading back? You might not uh, think this, but Mike isn't really a risk taker. And uh, so Mike is for kind of staying where you are and letting the draft come to you, unless you're looking ahead and saying, you know, the guys that we that we want are not going to be there. And so we're going to be it's going to be necessary to move. I think probably Marvin and and Duke brought more of the thinking of it's okay to move around here in a little bit. We'll we'll be uh, thoughtful about it and we'll be informed in our decision-making, but uh, sometimes we can force the issue a bit, and that was an example of a really good deal. We're chatting with former Bengal scout Greg Seaman. We moved to 2005. This is one of the great what-ifs in Bengals history. You had the 17th overall pick. You took David Pollock, the All-American boy, Won all of the major defensive awards in college football when he was at Georgia. And then in the second game of his second year, he broke a vertebrae in his neck and never played again. Yeah, just tragic. And, and uh, David uh, was appealing uh, to us at two different positions. Uh, he had proven at Georgia that he could play with his hand on the ground and rush the quarterback and chase the ball in a run game. But he also had the athletic ability and the intelligence to also be able to stand up, play some uh, outside linebacker, and uh, wouldn't have been involved in coverage a lot, but brought some flexibility that we were really, uh, at that point, looking for defensively. And uh, uh, I, I admire David. Because as a young player whose dream it is to play in the NFL, uh, oftentimes uh, they don't make uh, the best decision for themselves. And uh, he listened to what the doctors told him, and he's a great example of why uh, if a young man uh, gets an education and prepares himself for life after football, uh, you can move to that seamlessly, and he's become a star on the uh, Saturday college football broadcast. So good for David, but yeah, a real what if. uh, Had he not been injured, he would have had a very good career with the uh, Bengals. 
So unfortunately, the first pick in 2005 didn't have a long Bengals career, but Cincinnati did eventually wind up with two of the first six picks from that draft, Cedric Benson and Adam Pacman Jones. We moved to 2006. This is really one of the most productive drafts in team history. Jonathan Joseph, round one, had a great career. Frosty Rucker, round three, had a solid career. Domata Pecco, round four, had a great career. Let's focus on the second round pick. Number 55 overall. He's likely going to the Hall of Fame someday. Mm-hmm. Andrew Whitworth. I remember there were teams that said, this guy's a guard, not a tackle. The Bengals obviously felt differently. Yes. Uh, Whit, uh, the story has been told many times. That just briefly, uh, besides being a stellar player, when we interviewed him at the Combine, uh, he... He sounded like a 10-year veteran when we talked about technique and footwork and, and how you uh, play the game of football to the point that Marvin turned to Paul Alexander, our line coach, and, and said, if we draft this guy, I won't need you, uh, <laughs> the line coach. Um, Witt's remarkable. Witt has always been underestimated as an athlete. Um, you know, he was a three-time state champion in high school. He was a state champion at L- or a national champion at LSU, and now he won a Super Bowl ring at the end of his career. Not many can say that. But think about Witt at 6'7", and in high school, I'm guessing 290 pounds, coming to the net as an outstanding high school tennis player. And uh, if you've seen him around Cincinnati in his years, he is a low-handicap golfer with a deft touch. So here's a six foot seven, 335-pound uh, NFL tackle with those kinds of athletic skills and a good brain, a good heart, and a good soul to go with all of that. Um, one of the all-time great Bengals, one of the all-time great NFL uh, left tackles, and I think certainly a Hall of Famer. All kidding aside, from your scouting days, when you learned that a player was a great tennis player or golfer or something like that, was that a factor? Absolutely. I, you know, a lot of times when you're looking at offensive and defensive linemen, uh, you'd love to know that they were also an outstanding heavyweight wrestler mm. uh, because of work ethic and balance. Uh, but when you've got a man of his size that has that kind of fine motor skills and you could see him run and change direction and move uh, in a way that a much smaller man did. Uh, when in, the, in the Bengals facility, uh, we, we had a gymnasium. And uh, between meetings, oftentimes the players would go down and they would have three-point shooting contests. And Carson Palmer generally would, would be one that would win that. But right there with him was Andrew Whitworth, who had this silky left-handed shot. Uh, so, yeah, a multi-sport athlete uh, who has had success in, in various endeavors is very appealing. Andrew Whitworth, one of two players from the 2006 draft to last 16 NFL seasons. The other punter, Sam Cook, from the Baltimore Ravens. We moved to 2007. This is interesting because you had taken a cornerback in the first round the year before, Jonathan Joseph. You did it again. Leon Hall, number 18 overall. Was there any hesitation in going cornerback in the first round in back-to-back years? I think that there was discussion and uh, sometimes you try to find a reason not to take somebody. In Leon's case, he, he just was so solid. He was smart. His technique was good. His footwork was good. He would tackle, which a lot of corners would not do. Uh, he was mature. And we were building a defense that was going to have good pass rushers on the outside, solid players on the inside, a pretty good linebacking core. 
and someone to book in with Jonathan Joseph, who you thought uh, the two of them might be long-term starting corners uh, in what was becoming Mike Zimmer's defense. Um, and so he really just fit the bill. And, uh, you know, not that Leon was ever a superstar, but he was a really good player who ended up playing, I think, 10 or 12 years as a corner in the NFL, and that's rare. So a very, very good player and a good pick at that point in the draft. Your memory is good. A 12-year NFL career, the first nine in Cincinnati. We're chatting with Greg Seaman, the former Bengals scout. We moved to 2008. I want to focus on the team's second-round pick that year. The Bengals don't typically take small school players in the early rounds of the draft. That year you did. Wide receiver Jerome Simpson out of Coastal Carolina. Unfortunately, Deshaun Jackson went three picks later and wound up having the better NFL career. But tell us a little bit about selecting Jerome Simpson at that point. Well, Jerome was able to leap tall defenders in a single bound and land on his feet in the end zone. Uh, the iconic uh, play I still see uh, from time to time. Um, Jerome was a state champion basketball player and the leading scorer on the team. Jerome was a state finalist in North Carolina in uh, the sprints. Uh, he could also, I uh, believe, he was either a triple jumper or a long jumper. Um, so he was an under-recruited kid a raw uh, athletic kind of guy he ends up at coastal carolina does not you know set the world on fire starting out but uh, a good kid and uh, remarkably i mean he did have springs for legs there were things he could do that uh, you couldn't coach him to do and uh, we were developing you know we had chad and tj and we we're kind of in that transition to aj and and uh, marvin and mo and uh, and slim and he fit in that category of these kind of long uh, athletic guys that could uh, go up and get the ball. Um, so he was uh, a, little, a little raw, uh, probably not real mature in the game yet, um, but had the athletic ability to make that a worthwhile uh, endeavor. Am I correct in saying in the early rounds the Bengals would prefer major conference guy over small conference guy? I think everyone would. I, I think you, in the early rounds, your investment is more, and you want to have the, the highest level of confidence that you can have that this guy can transition to the NFL uh, smoothly and successfully. And uh, sometimes, you know, when you can't see them against top competition in college, it becomes a, a little riskier. We moved to 2009. This was a very strong draft. Andre Smith had a long career. Ray Maluga had a solid career. Michael Johnson had a good career. I'm going to focus in on your fifth-round pick that year. Don't draft a kicker. Don't take a punter. Well, the Bengals took one. Kevin Huber wound up playing 14 seasons in a Bengals uniform. Was there any reluctance to take a punter in round five? Uh, no. Uh, you know, you've got... Uh, three things in Cincinnati. You have Skyline Chili, you have Grater's Ice Cream, and you got Kevin Huber. <laughs> uh, you know, the Cincinnati High School, McNicholas, and then at UC. And uh, I think that our familiarity with him from UC, uh, that was a school that I had coached at, and I also did the scouting for UC. And so I was around there a lot, and I felt very confident in recommending him. Darren Simmons, who's a, one of the best special teams coaches in the NFL, was able to be around him a lot also because he was right there in town. And what struck you about uh, Kevin 
was his ability to perform situationally. Uh, if you were in plus territory late in a game and you really didn't need your punter to kick the ball out the back of the end zone, Kevin would leave the ball inside the 10. And if it were late in the game and you were backed up and you needed a big kick, uh, Kevin could kick the ball 55 yards and change the field position, and he responded to those things. Uh, so uh, he was uh, mature beyond his years. Uh, uh, Darren would be able to talk to his technique more than me, but he was certainly sound. You didn't see a lot of mishits uh, out of Kevin. And uh, a hard worker and uh, just a really good guy. And I'm, I'm so happy that he was able to stay with the Bengals throughout his career. It's just been a terrific story. He became the greatest punter in franchise history, and that was a good punter draft. There were three selected that year. All three became pro bowlers. Thomas Morstead and Pat McAfee were the other two. Pat McAfee obviously making a bundle now as a broadcaster. We moved to 2010. The Bengals drafted three pro bowlers in 2010. Jermaine Gresham, Carlos Dunlap, and a fourth-round pick who went to eight pro bowls. That is a record for a Bengals defensive player, the great Geno Atkins. Why were 119 players selected before Geno Atkins in 2010? Because they did not have Bill Tobin fighting for Geno Atkins as his advocate. Um, I remember those meetings, and you know, Geno was short uh, by uh, defensive tackle standards, and uh, Bill was just adamant that this guy is a rock. Uh, that he's going to be able to not only hold up against the double teams, but he's going to be able to rush the passer. Uh, Marvin got on board with that. Obviously, everybody did. We went for the pick. And then, you know, you, you, uh, uh, I said recently, you, you, you grade players for where you would take them, but you also have to have a sense of where the league values them. And uh, I think that uh, we had a good feel that people weren't clamoring to, to take Geno early in that draft, and, and we were patient and got one of the all-time great Bengal defensive linemen in the fourth round of just a, a steal. Uh, that was a, a wonderful pick. And, and Gino came in, and he was uh, uh, hard as a rock and strong and played hard, and would, you couldn't get him to talk. His, his position coach said, you know, I'm with the guy every day. He never says anything. I've asked him a question. He's just a quiet, hardworking, humble, sincere guy who was a joy to be around. Bill Tobin is Duke's dad. Bill famously built the great Chicago Bears team that won the Super Bowl in the mid-'80s. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to be in a draft room with Bill Tobin. Bill had literally spent his life. Uh, he played uh, uh, running back at Missouri and then played in the original AFL for a bit and then a little bit of coaching and, and then pretty early in his life uh, just devoted it to uh, the personnel side. How do you put together a good roster how do you put together a good team those are sometimes different things and uh, so he was uh, along with Pete and Mike you had three guys that had grown up in the NFL and they could really be uh, valuable as mentors and resources so he was a great guy to be around and I'm sure he's still around we moved to 2011 Dan Hoare joined the organization in May of that year. Uh, but the Bengals made a lot more significant uh, additions than that. A.J. Green was the fourth overall pick in the draft. And in the second round, number 35 overall, Cincinnati selected Andy Dalton. My recollection is that Jay Gruden, who had been hired as the offensive coordinator that offseason, really pushed for Andy Dalton. Was that the case? That is exactly right. Uh, we were at that point where, where – uh, 
uh, it was pretty clear that Carson wasn't going to return, and we had a good football team, uh, a team that was becoming a very good football team, and so this was key. And um, uh, Jay uh, loved several things about Andy, not the least of which was he had started close to 50 games already. Um, if you talk to the TCU guys, they will say that Andy and his teammates, his classmates, changed TCU football. Uh, when they went there, you know, it was a uh, Midland program. They got better and better and better. And in Andy's last game, the TCU plays in the, in the Rose Bowl and beats number four Wisconsin on national TV, and after that, they build onto the stadium at TCU. They have the money to redo their facilities. So Andy had been a part of uh, an integral part of something really important with a lot of pressure placed on him, and he had handled that. So beyond his physical abilities, I think Jay and all of us uh, came to really appreciate the fact that Andy was mature, uh, that he was stable, that he was wise, that he was dependable. And uh, he went out and, and played really, really well for a long time. These decisions aren't always unanimous. There's debate in the room. I remember one Bengals front office person, I'm not going to say him by name, that thought that Andy was too much like John Kitna, didn't have the big arm, didn't have you know, some of the physical traits that ideally you would love to have. Mm-hmm. That's the way it is, right? It's, there are always differing opinions. Always differing opinions. And uh, there's a temptation... And sometimes it's a good thing to, to compare uh, a collegiate player to an NFL player. He might be this person. The problem with that approach is that as soon as you name the NFL player, all the connotations that come with that guy, whether they be negative or positive, are immediately attached to this kid who has never yet played in the NFL. So I'm very reluctant when we do that kind of thing. And we do. It does happen as a way of uh, placing a value on a prospect but Andy was his own man and not only was he a really good player for the Cincinnati Bengals he was a great person in the city of Cincinnati and in the community he and his wife we're chatting with Greg Seaman the former Bengals scout in 2012 the Bengals drafted two wide receivers and they both worked out well Marvin Jones is a great fifth round pick Mohamed Sanu was your third round pick went on to spend 10 years in the NFL yeah uh he was a guy that I uh, scouted. I had the East Coast uh, at that time. Mo uh, always struck me as uh, just a really good all-around athlete. I went to their practice. I saw him in games. Um, he he could obviously he can throw a ball shockingly well. Uh, he his first. He threw a 73-yard touchdown pass against the Washington Redskins at that time to A.J. Green. So Mo had a touchdown pass thrown before he ever caught a pass in the <laughs> NFL, which is unusual. Ended up with, I think, an almost perfect passer rating over the course of his career. But uh, Mo could go out and kick a field goal for you if he needed to. He could punt the ball if you needed him to. He was big and physical. He wasn't the fastest guy, but he was an incredibly hard worker. Uh, his senior year at Rutgers, he was having a good career at Rutgers, and then his senior year, he caught 115 passes for, I think, a little over 1,200 yards, and they just, uh, in every situation where they needed something, they threw the ball to Mo. And so when he came to the Bengals, we were blessed that we had a good group of receivers, and 
you know, there are different kinds of, of uh, slot receivers. There are small, quick guys, and then there are guys that are uh, physical and big. And Mo could do that. And Mo could play the Z position and come in and crack on a linebacker and make a catch on third down. Uh, he, he was with us, I think, for four years and then had a great run with the Atlanta Falcons, played in a Super Bowl. Um, and uh, you know, his family's from Sierra Leone. Uh, Mo grew up mostly in New Jersey, but he's been involved in charity work everywhere that he's been. And uh, just a very mature young man. I've always been uh, a fan of Mohamed Sanu. And people may recall, he got pranked in the second round that year. Right. Somebody called up, said the yeah. Bengals were about to select him. It wasn't the case. It was a difficult, uh, frustrating, and somewhat embarrassing situation for him. And then it all worked out in the end because in the next round, he got that call from Cincinnati. Yeah, we felt so terrible. And then our turn comes, and we're going to take him. So Marvin's going to call him. And Marvin's worried. Is he going to think this is the prank again? Or, you know, what, what's going to happen here when I call this guy? You know, is he going to respond? And so he had to kind of convince Mo that, yes, it really is the Bengals this time, and we are thrilled to be able to pick you uh, in the draft. The 2013 draft was an interesting one because the player that you selected in the first round was not on any of the mock drafts that I recall that year. It seemed like safety Matt Elam was the guy that everybody thought was coming to Cincinnati. He was the first round pick by Baltimore later in that draft. Several defensive linemen were mocked to Cincinnati. You wound up taking tight end Tyler Eifert, even though you had selected Jermaine Gresham in the first round just a few years before. Yeah, uh, we thought that Tyler was just such a unique athlete. Um, you know, he's six foot five or six. Uh, he was a great high school basketball player. Ironically, my, my first job uh, coaching in college football was in the early 80s at Purdue University. His father, Greg, was a role player on some good teams for Gene Cady at Purdue. And his mother was also a Big Ten athlete. And I want to say either basketball or volleyball, but I'm not certain. Maybe track. But uh, he's a Fort Wayne kid. Um, Bishop Dwinger High School. Uh, just a tremendous athlete. He's one of those guys. Uh, we mentioned Andrew, Andrew Whitworth earlier. Whit was a low handicap golfer. When Eifert uh, came onto the team, uh, Witt generally had some of the offensive uh, rookies come and stay at his house and introduce them. So he takes him over to Hyde Park Country Club to play golf, and Eifert really didn't play that much golf, and he goes out and shoots scratch, shoots 72 on Witt. And he said, you know, it really makes me mad because this kid just can do anything. Um, he is another one, and this, this is just part of the game. Uh, Tyler Eifert could have been an all-time great tight end and got hurt early and often in his career, kept coming back from them. What, what Tyler could do was play anywhere on the field. You could have him attached to the tackle, but he could be a single receiver to the short side of the field and see if you get a matchup. He could play in the slot because he was a route runner too. Um, could, you know, he could run, he could jump, he could catch. Um, and a good guy, uh, just the injuries uh, prevented him. He had a good career, but the injuries prevented him from maybe being one of the really great tight ends including an injury in the Pro Bowl, yeah. which is really frustrating. Yeah. On to 2014. You chose cornerback Darquez Denard in the first round. That was a big cornerback draft. Mm -hmm. I think three corners were taken before Darquez. Some good ones were still on the board. Bradley Roby went mm -hmm. seven picks later. The very next pick after Darquez Denard was Jason Barrett, mm -hmm. another cornerback. Was that a year where you were really focused on this cornerback uh, group? Well, I thought we, we thought it was a deep group and that there were players to be had there. And, and when you're looking early in the draft, uh, quarterback, 
corner, pass rusher, left tackles, those guys are appealing to you because uh, all of those spots, guys can play for a pretty long time and have a real impact on the game. Uh, we had had success with Leon and Jonathan Joseph and Leon Hall. Um, I think that I think our view of Darquez was that he was going to be very similar to Leon, a complete player that could play inside, play outside, uh, would tackle, was smart, um, and that would come on and then surpass those guys. We had uh, a good team, and we were able to kind of draft not for depth but for the next guy because contracts being what they are, you're, you kind of think ahead. You're, you're trying to prepare for, well, if this guy graduates, as we would say, who's the next one in line? And uh, Darquez uh, did well, had some injuries, and it never all came together for him in the way that it did uh, for Leon. But he was very much the same kind of player coming out of college. As we have run through the drafts that you were involved with with the Bengals. We've had a lot of success stories. 2015 was simply a draft that didn't work out. Every team has them. Your first round pick, number 21 overall, was Cedric Obwehi. The Bengals weren't really drafting for need, at least immediate need. You're trying to get offensive linemen in the, in the pipeline. Jake Fisher was the second round pick. Were there red flags with Cedric? Tell us a little bit about that selection. Well, Cedric had injured his knee um, in their bowl game. So we knew that he wasn't going to be available, uh, potentially available to start the season. His film prior to that was exceptional. Um, he was a, a big, athletic guy with length. He was intelligent. Uh, I know I remember that Paul Alexander, after spending time with him and uh, studying his film, felt very confident that uh, he could be eventually the guy that would place would replace Wit uh, if Wit moved on, and um, it's uh, it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, we weren't the only team certainly that viewed him as an outstanding prospect, uh, and he's been now with numerous teams, and it just has never come together for him. And it's a, I I don't know why, but certainly it, uh, uh, it, it he never got established. He was, I think, a starter for one year and then lost that position, and uh, it turns out that he was a miss. So on to 2016. You left to become the tight end coach with the Cleveland Browns under Hugh Jackson, but before taking that job, you had worked all year preparing the Bengals for the 2016 draft, and you had a lot to do with their second-round selection that year, guy that's still doing a great job for the Bengals, wide receiver Tyler Boyd. Yeah, I... Uh, I don't even know Tyler because I was gone before he came. But I knew him because I saw him in practice a lot at Pitt and in games. And when I watched Tyler, um, it was so reminiscent of Mo Sanu a number of years before at Rutgers. Uh, Pitt at that time had James Conner. And uh, they were not uh, immensely talented at quarterback or at some other positions. So in a lot of games, they would run James Conner on first down. They would run James Conner on second down. And then they would throw the ball to Tyler Boyd to get the first down and then start it all again. And uh, Tyler has uh, toughness. He had agility. He was obviously an intelligent player. Uh, like Mo. I think that if you wanted to stick him at tailback for a couple plays, he would run the ball aggressively and, and physically. Um, so I just uh, saw a guy make lots of, again, like he reminded me of Mo because 
on third down or in key situations, you knew they were going to throw the ball to him, and you knew that if he got his hands on it, he was going to catch it. Uh, so I, uh, I had written a, a, a really strong recommendation about Tyler prior to taking the job in Cleveland, left that with them. And uh, when I got to Cleveland, quite honestly, I pushed for Tyler Boyd as hard <laughs> as I could. But at that point, I wasn't on the personnel side, so my voice didn't count for much. And I was pleased that the Bengals uh, uh, drafted Tyler, and he's been a terrific player for them and continues to be. I think he's right in the midst of what's going to be a very, very good and productive career. This has been a real treat. I could go down memory lane about the draft with you for hours, but uh, we'll keep it to about a half an hour. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you, Dan. This is always fun. And go Bengals. Who day? The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. We just heard from former Bengal scout Greg Seaman, who is currently doing some work for Pro Football Focus. And that's the perfect segue for what's next, our seventh edition of a three-round mock draft with an NFL expert. Here's the concept. When I attended the NFL Combine this year, I had the Pro Football Focus Mock Draft Simulator set up on my laptop, and I invited several NFL experts to make the Bengals picks in the first three rounds while discussing their options. If you've never tried a draft simulator before, what are you waiting for? It allows you to play Bengals GM for as many rounds of the draft as you want. The simulator begins making picks in order, and then when it's your turn, you can make trades or go ahead and pick. It's a great way to get to know the players who might be available when the Bengals are on the clock in a couple of weeks. So far, our experts have chosen the following players in the first round. Three have selected Utah tight end Dalton Kincaid. Two have picked Maryland cornerback Deontay Banks. And one chose Oregon State tight end Luke Musgrave. In the second round, two experts picked Northwestern defensive lineman Atatamiwa Atabare. The other picks were Washington State linebacker Dayon Henley, Syracuse offensive tackle Matthew Bergeron, Illinois safety Sidney Brown, and Kansas State cornerback Julius Brents. In the third round, there have been six different picks. Iowa tight end Sam Laporta, BYU offensive tackle Blake Freeland, Maryland cornerback Jacorian Bennett, UAB running back Dwayne McBride, Texas A&M running back Devon A-Chain, and Missouri edge rusher Isaiah McGuire. After you make your picks on the simulator, PFF gives you a grade, and the highest marks so far have been an A for Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus and a pair of A-minuses for Dane Brugler of The Athletic and Austin Gale from The Ringer. Now, time for contestant number seven. Time for our latest three-round Bengals mock draft on the PFF simulator with a PFF employee. Great to be joined by Anthony Tresh, who's been on this podcast before. We're going to do three rounds. No trades allowed. Are you ready? I'm very ready. I'm, I have one player in mind for this first-round pick that I'm hoping is available on the PFF mock draft simulator by the time pick 28 rolls around, but we'll see what happens. Do you want to share who in advance? 
Now we'll see. We'll see. Okay, we'll find out. All right, I have just hit enter draft, and the names are about to start flying off the board. Bryce Young going number one overall, the quarterback out of Alabama to the Carolina Panthers. We're seeing corners and tackles and wide receivers flying off the board. We're up to pick number 25. Kalijah Kansi was just selected 27th by the Buffalo Bills, the speedy defensive lineman out of Pitt. And now the Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock. All right. So the person I wanted to take with this Bengals pick is available. Um, I think this player is extremely underrated. I would probably consider him in the top half of the first round. Um, But our lead draft analyst, Mike Renner, has him as the second best player at the position. Um, You know, I I respect that. But I'm going to go with Michael Mayer, tight end out of Notre Dame. I think getting him at the back half of the first round at pick 28, Again, I think that's incredible value. I, it's very hard to find any flaws within his game. I mean, he really can do it all, um, especially from a blocking perspective. That's what I think separates him from Dalton Kincaid, the Utah product, um, who is tied in one on the PFF draft board. And, you know, I could see why they're interchangeable, but I'm going to lean Mayer. I think the blocking ability is some of the best you're going to see at the position. I think he developed that this past year. He wanted to make it an emphasis, um, you know, developing that all throughout the year. And you see him with some of those double teams, too, and then that duo blocking scheme at Notre Dame. It was, it was delightful. I loved it. Um, again, as a receiver, just a technician. I mean, he gets everything down to, to a point. I mean, it's just, it's just perfect work. So, Michael Mayer, I think that would be an awesome addition to an already dangerous passing attack. PFF has Mayer ranked as the second-best tight end in this draft behind Utah's Dalton Kincaid. Dane Brugler from The Athletic has them ranked the other way around. Mayer went to Covington Catholic High School in northern Kentucky and then spent three years at Notre Dame. He's 6'4", 249 pounds, and while he didn't show blazing speed at the combine by running a 4'7'40", teams had a hard time covering him at Notre Dame as he was the team's leading receiver in each of the last two years, topping 800 yards each season. If he's still on the board when the Bengals are on the clock, you can bet there will be serious consideration given to selecting Michael Mayer. Now, let's see who PFF's Anthony Tresh selected in round two. On to the second round with Anthony Tresh from Pro Football Focus. Julius Brents, the cornerback from Kansas State, was selected at number 56. That was your colleague Sam Monson's second round pick when he did the uh, simulator. Matthew Bergeron, tackle from Syracuse, went at pick 57. That's a name we've seen mocked to Cincinnati in the second round. Dayon Henley, linebacker from Washington State, was the player selected immediately before the Bengals at number 59. So now you are on the clock with pick number 60. Yeah, this is tough. I think I think Cincinnati is kind of in a luxury territory. I'm probably leaning defensive back here. I have one name in mind. If he's on the board, I would take him. There he is. I'm going to go Antonio Johnson, safety from Texas A&M. Um, you know, from the day one he was on the field for Texas A&M, slot corner, Completely impressed me. I thought he was one of the best defensive backs in America as an underclassman. Kind of moved to more of a traditional safety role this past year. Didn't think he skipped a beat. Um, didn't really have some of those highlight reel plays that you saw previously. But, you know, I think he can be a, you know, a movable chess piece in, in any secondary. I think the instincts pop off the tape. Um, again, just a very smart player from early on in his career. And I think that's the biggest thing with some of these guys. You know, if they're not, you know, he's got the experience, but, 
you really want to see just the the football IQ developed at this point in their career. I know a lot of people say, you know, potential, you know, just scratching the surface. You know, he can, you know, be great with good coaching. But Antonio Johnson, he knows how to play football at a high level already. So that's why I'd be very, very comfortable with this pick in the second round. So in the second round, Anthony Trash from Pro Football Focus selects Texas A&M defensive back Antonio Johnson. Antonio Johnson is the number two safety in the draft, according to Dane Brugler, behind Alabama's Brian Branch, and PFF has him graded number 64 overall. He's 6'2", 200 pounds, and ran a 4'5'40 at the Combine. We know that Lou Anarumo values versatility, and Johnson lined up deep, played in the box, and also lined up in the slot in his two years as a starter at A&M. Now, let's get to Anthony's third and final pick. And now we move on to round three. The Bengals have picked number 92. Names are flying off the board in the high 80s. The Buffalo Bills have just selected a defensive player out of LSU, Jacqueline Roy. And now the Bengals are on the clock for their third round pick. Oh, man, I almost took this guy with the, the second round pick, and he's available in the third round. Um... I might go defensive back again. I, th- I think it's a, an important position. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to go with Travius Hodges Tomlinson, the cornerback out of TCU. Um, I will say the physicality, he is undersized. He does try to overcompensate at times. I'll just over needlessly just grabby um, along the route. And, you know, that's just kind of the way he does play. But I think just the the sheer athleticism that he does have. Um, you know, I, I think he could make an impact, you know, even if it's in the slot at the NFL level. Um, again, you, you want guys that know how to play at a high level, you know, see the, you know, the football IQ pop off, especially a defensive back, um, you know, from day one, I think he can kind of handle that. So I think with Cincinnati, maybe you don't need to put him out there on the field. They have a lot of good defensive backs already. I, you know, I like what we've seen from Cam Taylor Britt and Daxton Hill. And then I just added Antonio Johnson, but you know, I think you just keep got to keep adding. You adding at the most important positions because this is the Bengals team that's one of the best rosters in the NFL. So that's what I would do here with Travis Hodges Tomlinson, the cornerback from TCU. Now I think he wants to go by Trey Tomlinson, the uh, ne- uh, nephew of Danny and Tomlinson, hmm. uh, former Chargers running back. So you know I, he's got NFL bloodlines. I think he could uh, make an impact down the road for this team. Trey Hodges Tomlinson is undersized. He's five seven and one hundred eighty pounds, but he's fast running a 4-4-40 at the Combine, and productive. He won the Jim Thorpe Award last year as the best defensive back in college football as opponents had a completion percentage of just 34.6 when they targeted Hodges Tomlinson. Now, time to find out how PFF graded Anthony's picks. A tight end and two defensive backs. Selected in the first three rounds by Anthony Trash of Pro Football Focus. And now we find out how PFF has graded your draft. What do we got here? A minus. All right, I'll take it. What, what did Sam have? Sam had an A. Sam has the only A so far. You are the third person to get an A minus. Yeah, it's probably because he's on the consumer division and I'm on the B2B product, so he's sitting there fixing the grades. I, l- I would be ecstatic if we came or if the Bengals came away with this hole. Um, but really, that first-round pick, I'd be really rooting for Michael Mayer. If I were a Bengals fan, I think he's going to be that good of a player, and he's from the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that's probably what they're rooting for, and given what we know about Mr. Mayer, I'm sure he's probably rooting for that as well. Every grade came out well. A-minus, B-plus, 
A for the overall A minus. You did well, Anthony. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals, by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. By Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with AltaFiber. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks so much for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.